0: We invite you to attend the January 2023 Nomad Offshore Summit here in Lisbon, Portugal. This podcast channel is about you successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors. Sponsored by ECJ you. Welcome to uh, this week's live stream with HGJ.Tax. We do these live streams every week. Just go to HGJ.Tax forward slash events to see what's coming up next. We're also doing an in-person conference after such a long hiatus. We're doing an in-person conference at the end of January. So that's just next month in Portugal. Where we're going to have a conversation. We're going to have many conversations about offshore structuring, uh, visas, uh, citizenships, investment, migration, all stuff like that for you to live your life by design, put together the, the lifestyle that you want to enjoy your freedoms. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to a very special guest, Nicholas. Nicholas, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, uh, hi Darren. It, it is very kind of you to 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 interview me. Um, we, we met, I think, twice at uh, tax conferences, and I am a tax petitioner here in Austria. I Deal with high net worth individuals, yeah. so people moving around, families,
0: uh, individuals, and so on. Yeah, of course. You know, just to, to add to your very modest introduction, you are the tax partner in the largest tax practice in Austria-Germany? Am I correct in saying that?
1: Yeah, uh, 50% of, of that is correct. I am a partner uh, in, a, in, a, in, in Austria's largest firm, but we are only in Austria, not in Germany. Okay. Uh, uh, but uh, in addition, we're also in, in Eastern Europe. So we, ha- we have, I think, like uh, 350 lawyers in 13 mm-hmm. countries. Yeah. The bulk of the lawyers is, is in Vienna. And uh, yeah, the, the firm is called Wolftheist. Uh, for your listeners, it's uh, some some European distant firm, but here in Europe, it's one of the one of the larger firms, I would say.
0: Okay, wonderful. Uh, of course, you know, as I always say, that this is just a general conversation. Nobody's giving tax advice, so mm-hmm. please, no one listen and think they're going to get some sort of actionable intelligence. Hopefully, what you will walk away with are general principles and general concepts that you want to keep in mind as you ga- engage an advisor. To work on your specific situation so this is not advice general conversation uh and of course nicholas you are an author editor as well can you tell us a bit about that
1: yeah uh, i have uh, published a few books uh mm-hmm. three actually on the topic of crypto uh mm-hmm. so I, I always say that i'm a lawyer and i do like these really boring things these really boring things uh taxes uh and the only thing uh the only aspect which is a bit more exciting is crypto and crypto is really Really, it's a wild and crazy uh, area, and it is so so different from the tech side. Yeah. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Well, actually, well, since that is probably the hottest topic right now, <laughs> maybe we could just jump right in. Obviously, sure. there's been uh, quite a there's been a disruptive year in the crypto space. I mean, it always is, <laughs> but so I guess it's never a typical year. But this year uh, will probably be mocked in history as <laughs> disruption to the extent that institutions and exchanges or players that one thought were, you know, like the emblem of stability and growth and progress turned out to be the opposite. So most recently we had the high profile, well, I'd use the term failure. I know it's still, you know, it's it's still a legal process going on. So we don't want to jump to conclusions, but FTX in the Bahamas and the US is, is going through, Uh, situation right now. I mean, not to comment on them specifically, but generally speaking, what do you think the implications would be on the state of the industry? I mean, there is a a school of thought that it would be used as an impetus to greater regulation in the sector. What what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, what we have always been saying is uh, this mantra not your keys not your crypto so just think of the the uh, the origins of bitcoin invented by the pseudonymous satoshi nakamoto uh, at the height of the global financial crisis where we did not trust banks we did not trust these central counterparties mm-hmm. and we had this money that you hold yourself you hold it on an address which is controlled by the corresponding private key and now yeah. since these times yeah since uh, 2009 when bitcoin started you've had tons of people actually leaving their crypto with somebody else, leaving mm-hmm. their crypto with mostly exchanges. Yeah. It started off with Mt. Gox in 2014. Yeah. Uh, and it has been going on every year. There have been uh, uh, exchanges or other custodians uh, who went belly up and took uh, customers' funds. Yeah, there was, I mean, some of these uh, cases are like really... Uh, intriguing. Think of the Canadian case, Kodriga CX, this guy yeah. who did a, a trip, a vacation to India and suddenly died. Everything was the Netflix. Gone. Yeah. 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 There's a Netflix series, uh, Netflix uh, uh, documentary on, on, on this story. Mm-hmm. Um so we have always been saying hold your crypto yourself, yeah, self-sovereign. You hold it on your address. You have a hardware wallet and you store the uh, the crypto assets that you own. Otherwise, it's just otherwise it's just sort of a promise by. Uh, an exchange uh, that they will, that they might honor or not honor, depending on their on their solvency. And I mean, in two thousand and twenty-two, uh, you, you said at the beginning it was a what did you say? It was a uh, did you say disastrous or you 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 I Disruptive. I, I really say, disruptive. Yeah, uh, I, okay. I was thinking. Darren is really rubbing it in here. <laughs> I was reading the pen myself, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so the, it was really a, a bad year and it, it started off, I mean, we're in the midst of a bare winter since since uh, time immemorial. Uh, and uh, uh, and then we had uh, this uh, this uh, Terra uh, Luna, this uh, Terra USD uh, collapse, uh, which had a ripple effect. And then you had, for example, Celsius. Yeah? One of these, they are one of these uh, basically banks you can call them uh, not really being a bank but basically a corporation you send your crypto assets to an address of theirs they pay out juicy interest why can they do that because they engage in like super risky activities uh, which generate an even higher interest rate uh, so that they can uh, basically keep a margin and pay off uh, and, and pay off your, your interest but Celsius uh, uh, went uh, bankrupt uh, and uh, people who had not heard of this mantra, uh, not your keys, not your crypto, really should have understood it at that point in time. So if you have an account with FTX in May of 2022, actually that should have been the time you woke up and said, FTX is a super brand and Sam Bankman-Fried seems to be a cool guy. I don't like his hairstyle, uh, but he's making a ton of money. And uh, uh, so so uh, uh, everything looks looks, uh, looks great. But nevertheless, let's be on the safe side and let's withdraw uh, our crypto assets because you only need them on an exchange if you're doing trading so if you buy and sell the the whole day, then, of course, the assets have to be on on an address of the exchange, but if you're just using the exchange to buy, uh, then you should it's like a public uh, toilet you go in there. You do what you have to do, and then as fast as possible you go out. You don't spend too much time there. Why would you <laughs> sort of spend too much time there? Yeah. So it's uh, exactly the same with these uh, crypto exchanges. And right. you, you asked about regulation. Yeah. yeah? So mm-hmm. I think this will come, and actually I'm very much in favor because uh, these companies uh, uh, are in favor of this regulation. There are other types of regulation I'm not so much in favor of, but. This, these are basically central intermediaries holding assets. Uh, we have no insight, there's no transparency what they're doing. I mean, we, we if you looked at the bankruptcy filing by, uh, by, uh, by, by this, uh, I forgot his name, uh, uh, the, the spectacular things that we now learn about what was going on at FTX. But we did not have, an, uh, have any insights into the company uh they uh uh, uh they, they are kind of black box and so regulation is really uh something that should exist here so these centralized players where there's a risk for consumers they belong regulated they should not be treated differently from a normal bank where there's also certain regulation you cannot commingle assets you cannot pledge your customers funds to take <laughs> out, out loans to engage in speculation. So all of this uh, uh, is is actually coming in Europe. It's called MiCA, Marketing Crypto Assets Regulation. And uh, uh, I think in the US you have your 100th uh, proposal in Congress. Hong <laughs> oh, Kong, is it the 200th? At some point it will also come in the US. Yeah.
0: Right. So uh, so it's not so it's the exchange as well, but also the marketing is a key point right because uh what has come out is well you know there's been a laundry list of so-called influencers in the Mm -hmm. in the social media space who who you know receive money as you know as they do for other products as well but perhaps they've been they found themselves promoting uh a product or service that they didn't fully understand themselves and they weren't perfectly you know up to speed with the risk involved, uh, you know, and it's it's not just in crypto, but in the, in the general financial services space. Like uh, there's this one influencer uh, based in Dubai and he, he, another, well, I wouldn't say, uh, another controversy that's erupted in the last couple of weeks was uh, a, a, an online... I don't know what you want to describe them. They're called established titles. So they, they, their marketing pitch was: you, you pay them a certain amount, and they give you a piece of land in Scotland, like one square feet of one square foot or whatever. And based on some law in Scotland that they believe existed or they claimed existed, you were therefore entitled to call yourself a lord or a lady. So, and they were, they were spreading money around quite lavishly to to influencers in order to promote this. And apparently they they did pretty well, but one, uh, there's a, there are a number of scam busters online, Mm. but one of them just, you know, did the check and they they said, look, I'm pulling up the law for, for Scotland is available online. And this, what they're saying is not possible. Furthermore, I've done further checks on this company and it's not even based in Scotland it's based in Hong Kong. So it does <laughs> seem to be a scam. So I, I mentioned that because some of the same influencers who were involved in FTX were also involved in established titles, uh, as well as promoting other uh, tax benefits and tax schemes and so on. So I'm wondering if it is these guys aren't up to speed or they aren't proficient enough to read or uh, to do, perform basic due diligence, then do they have any, any space or do they have the right to promote any financial service at all? And would the the legislation that you see coming around the corner for crypto in particular address situations like this?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's a a great point, yeah? And uh, you're right, we should not only focus on these exchanges, these big names, Mm -hmm. but there are these individuals out there promoting all sorts of uh, shitty investments, Mm -hmm. be they crypto or, or real world, I had not heard of this Scottish scheme there to become an <laughs> earl or lord or whatever a lady, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it it uh, it sounds like like one of these uh, typical things, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It is if you just sort of uh, uh, open YouTube and uh, type in crypto, uh, you will see these uh, these these small uh, images of of YouTubers uh, with distorted faces. Yeah, so exactly. yeah it's,
0: <laughs> it's just yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's it. for the people only listening to this podcast. Uh, uh, they, they cannot. They, they have to just imagine the the, yeah. the faces we're just doing now. Yeah. But basically, I mean, it's full of these people selling mm-hmm. uh, uh, things and and mm-hmm. not disclosing that they are, that they have purchased these coins and tokens and whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these are classic pump and dump schemes. This is classic market manipulation. Sometimes mm-hmm. this is classic insider trading. Mm-hmm. And, and the yes. only thing uh, uh, that <clears throat> that uh, helps these. Uh, these uh, uh, people on the Telegram groups, on YouTube, uh, on, on, on on these WhatsApp groups that are out there, uh, and and so on. The only thing that that sort of uh, 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 that still works for these these people now is that most of these instruments might not be financial instruments. Uh, uh, there might be some there might be something something different, uh, or the countries uh, where uh, the countries that they are targeting. Uh, do not uh, sort of um, uh, classify these, these crypto assets as falling under these normally existing regulations for financial instruments and, and therefore they, they, uh, they will not be prosecuted. But in Europe, uh, the, the tide is shifting again with Mika. Uh, so if you, if you do advice, if you advise on buying crypto assets or portfolio management or similar services, so if you do something that, uh, uh, that, is, that is normally regulated uh, in the traditional financial world, this will also be regulated now with Mika. And, and also, I mean, the, the SEC has, uh, and, and the SEC is an entire topic of its own, Gary Gensler, but the SEC has, um, I think, opened the case against uh, two or three Coinbase employees who are acting on inside information, which coins and tokens Coinbase was going to list and they purchased these tokens and these coins and tokens before the announcement at a low price and after the announcement they sold them so very, very simple scheme they didn't even not, they don't even make a lot of money with that. Uh, but they were arrested and and uh, uh, the, the SEC is, is going to uh, sort of uh, prosecute them based on insider trading so the SEC is using the, uh, the, uh, the these statutes. Uh, that exist for stocks um, coinbase is vigorously uh, uh, sort of denying that these are stocks because it will also be a problem for, for coinbase that they have listed stocks uh, without uh, the the necessary registration and whatever is necessary under 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 u.s laws so i, I think this is like uh, this the, the whole space is full of um shady players uh and and these influences uh, most of them are really untrustworthy. You have to really watch out. You should not believe. And they are always saying uh, this is not financial advice. And then they're giving financial advice. <laughs> so it's always, it always begins with, this is not financial advice. And then it goes on for 30 minutes about what you should buy. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. And of course, some pretty famous names like uh, Kim Kardashian uh, got <laughs> pulled into that. But okay, so. So, you know, it it is what it is. So watch this space basically because regulation is now inevitable and we'll see over the next few years or so, a completely different approach to the way these services or products are being marketed. Okay. Fair enough. So so that's it for crypto. So let's let's jump to another interesting topic because these are all quite interesting. And this is investment migration. So this is another space that is more or less the Wild West. It is completely unregulated. uh, Aside from some jurisdictions, notably, I think Australia and Canada, for the most part, investment migration. Anyone can just get a flashy website or get a great YouTube channel going and they can sell the hell out of it. And you've heard no end of of horror stories. That's on the selling side. And on the actual product side, some jurisdictions, some major jurisdictions don't like it. I mean, the North Americans don't like it too much. The Europeans clearly do not like it. And uh, we've seen that in the last few years, we've seen... The uh, Cyprus program being shut down, at least the citizenship part, you can still get a visa, but citizenship no longer. And we've seen Malta being taken to European court, you know, over their yeah. citizenship program. So within that context, how does Austria fit in? Is it different and how?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, maybe two sort of... Uh, maybe Let's take a step back and okay. see what is happening in Malta because it's like really interesting to understand and to then mm-hmm. contrast that to the yeah. to the Austrian program to the program in, yeah. in my country yes. so basically uh, how Europe works and it, w- Europe is like really very complicated or the EU yeah it's sometimes very complicated to understand and of course you mm-hmm. understand you know that the EU is not the same as Europe yeah? mm-hmm. so there are some countries like the UK or Switzerland that do not even belong to, to the EU. But basically in the EU, you have the member states, there are 27 member states, and they have rules on citizenship. So for example, if you're born with parents uh, from that country, uh, with one or two uh, parents from that country, you will get a passport. Uh, uh, there, there, there are rules uh, in some countries uh, uh, that you can get citizenship based on merit. For example, if you join the, the, uh, uh, the foreign legion in France, Uh, I understand uh, then you can get citizenship uh, or if you you do something spectacular in some some other country, uh, uh, then that country might grant you citizenship Mm -hmm. uh, as as a gesture of appreciation for what you have done for this country. But at the same time, there's also EU citizenship. So having a passport of an EU member state actually also means having an EU passport and it gives you several rights that come from the EU treaties. So, for example, you can then go to any other uh, member state and live there under certain uh, if certain prerequisites are fulfilled. You can buy real estate, you can open up a business, you can buy a business, uh, open a bank account, and 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 so on. So uh, life gets a lot easier having an EU passport. And now um, the thing is that uh, the European Commission uh, um, they have a bit of a centralizing tendency, and uh, I think all of this is you would call it a power grab. So what what they are saying since many years is that uh, uh, programs uh, through which member states hand out passports to applicants under so-called citizenship by investment programs that they fundamentally violate EU law. And the citizenship by investment program is basically a program where somebody, um, where an investor, you can call him, uh, buys real estate in a country, makes a charitable, uh, makes a contribution to, to the government, and under a special program, these two steps enable him then, after going through a very extensive due diligence process, enable him to become a citizen of that country, and as a consequence, a citizen of the EU, an EU citizen. So the, the, uh, the European Commission really has uh, uh, targeted these citizenship by investment programs, and has been saying that uh, 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 while they acknowledge the right of member states to grant citizenship, uh, they do not acknowledge the right of member states to grant citizenship under citizenship and investment programs. Uh, because the fear is uh, that uh, tons, uh, that, ton, that 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 uh, uh, thousands, tens of thousands of money launderers will basically use this route to uh, uh, park their illegal proceeds in Europe to enter Uh, our territories. Uh, This is uh, a totally overblown fear. Uh, On the one hand, the the numbers that we're speaking of, this is a mere 100 in all of the countries concerned. Uh, On the other hand, as you know, we have the Mediterranean, which is an open border, and uh, and you have the Ukraine, which is also an open border, and the the vast amount of people uh, coming through these uh, borders on an undocumented basis is just incredible and uh, uh, the citizenship by investment program numbers, they really pale in comparison. So the the, the fear of the, com- the European Commission is totally overblown and there are also no legal arguments. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the, uh, the European Commission has pressured member states. So Bulgaria uh, had a program uh, mm-hmm. and uh, this program was halted. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cyprus had a program. Cyprus was a lot more well-known than then Bulgaria, uh, the separate program was halted. And now the European Commission is taking uh, Malta to the ECJ. So a case has been filed. Uh, uh, our firm is probably going to also uh, make a submission to the court, uh, a, a, a brief uh, explaining why we feel that this is, uh, uh, that if the court would uh, follow the European Commission side, why, why this would uh, be totally in violation of the. Uh, is treaty of the competency of member states? It is a question of what is a central competency and what is the competency of the member states. Mm. So the this, the the uh, the Maltese program is a citizenship by investment program, mm-hmm. uh, and in Austria, and, and this is like a really, really long answer for a short question. That's fine. Yeah. In Austria, yeah, in Austria, the uh, we have a, we have a, a, a provision in the citizenship act which says that if a foreigner, if an alien Uh, does something which is in the interest of the Republic of Austria, Uh, if he has done something and if there's also the expectation that he will be doing something in the interest of of Austria, then the government, uh, the the federal government, may pass a a decision. It's totally discretionary. May pass a decision and may waive the application of all the normal requirements uh, that, that typically apply uh if you want to get citizenship so you don't have to have lived here you don't have to have uh, a knowledge of the german language which is mm. <laughs> not that easy for, for non-german speakers you don't have to do a culture and history test you don't have to give up other passports and so on so we are currently uh, as a firm doing a, a few not many but this is a very special program uh we're doing uh, a, a few of these uh a, a pro a few of these uh we have a few of these clients mm-hmm. uh, uh, they are all very special they all do very sort of customized things uh, um, I, I cannot mention what these projects are but basically uh, uh, the idea is uh, something that uh, sort of really uh, contributes to Austria it can be in the area of business so you might set up a business you might uh, um, sort of expand your existing operations to Austria, create jobs. Uh, it might be just a, a simple donation to one of Austria, one of Vienna's fantastic museums. Mm. It might be uh, awesome. that you, uh, uh, I don't know, that you uh, bring to the table, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe you're a scientist and you have a whole laboratory which you uphold from one country and and basically set the boots in austria bring all these people all the know how all the research capability to austria mm-hmm. so they are they are uh, it's it's an interesting program it is very expensive so it's not uh, it's not like uh, some programs uh, i don't know you, you probably heard of montenegro it's basically yeah. 450k uh, mm-hmm. so it's 200k for the uh, donation and 250k in the cheapest case for the for the real estate Mm-hmm. So basically, it's 450 outlay, and and that's it. And I mean, you have the real estate; you can even sell that, hopefully, in a few years' time. Uh, so it's cheap, whereas The Austrian program is like discretionary; it is um, it is uh, sort of very tailor-made uh, for the for the client. It really has to fit to his story, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, it is it, it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. But it is an Austrian passport, and it an mm-hmm. Austrian passport is, I think number seven or something on on this uh, well-known henley list of passports right. so it's really a strong passport it's a passport yeah. which uh, allows you lots of things yeah
0: okay okay that, that's good to know uh, so it, it is definitely unique and it is not the typical investment migration package product, right okay yeah. I, I got that <laughs> now but again you know to borrow your phrase taking a step back and looking at what's going on in the industry I I get what you're saying and if i'm understanding you correctly you don't think that the european courts have a basis really for the action they may be taking against malta but regardless that sentiment is still there right and there's still uh you know some sort of dislike of, of of those types of products and even though they may not have a basis they have successfully dealt with at least two or three other European countries who had similar types of programs. So with, with that in mind, I, it seems, you know, one can speculate that where there's a will, there's a way. And they will figure out some sort of angle to get it curtailed. Now, once that's done, you know, I'm looking at the bigger mm-hmm. picture. I, I saw what happened to Vanuatu, where they lost access oh, yeah. To- yeah, to the Schengen area, and I know that there's also dislike of the Caribbean programs. So you know, my uh, my my position is that these things have uh, a limited life. You know, it, at some point in time, they're going to be probably not completely shut down because, as you pointed out, you really can't take away the the base. You know, the the ability of a country to give citizenship, especially in exceptional circumstances. But the the package product side of it. I, I kind of see that disappearing. What are your thoughts on that? What, what is your perspective and what the future holds? Yeah,
1: I mean, uh, uh, as I said, and as you, as you repeated, basically there is yeah. no merit in the EU commission's case, yeah. but that does not mean that the ECJ will decide in exactly this way because yeah. the ECJ, the European Court of Justice, very often sees his role less in an arbiter of truth and less in sort of uh, uh, analyzing statutes But maybe you could say he's a kind of motor of integration, trying to sort of Mm -hmm. integrate the European Union, and uh, in many cases basically helping the European Commission to strengthen uh, uh, its uh, uh, sort of its its base. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it it might well be that uh, that this battle uh, is lost on political grounds. On legal grounds, uh, uh, the case is is quite clear. I've read uh, a number of. uh, articles and and uh, uh, assessments on, on this uh, that there's a there's a group which deals with uh, uh, investment migration and they have um, also a, a kind of statement on the Maltese case we, we'll see yeah. Uh, but uh, it's it definitely, uh, I think, on, on the sort of horizon uh, for the European Commission, regardless of how this case ends to somehow maybe uh, pass a kind of directive mm. which. Uh, sort of harmonizes uh, these rules and the big the big topic actually uh, is because you you know that I mean corporate taxation uh, uh, here the uh, the uh, sort of the the role uh, of of the EU is really strong yeah so this this is getting more and more harmonized you have the OECD initiatives and so on. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, probably the next thing, the next frontier that the European Commission will want to tackle is the individual. Are these individual uh, uh, these special regimes for high net worth individuals in the EU in in EU member states? So, for example, I mean originally you had the the UK. It was not, it's not anymore a member state with the resident non-dom regime. You had Switzerland with the lump sum of for fear regime. Uh, but in the EU you have I mean you have the uh, uh, the uh, the Portuguese, non
0: We have the Beckham yeah. Law in Spain. We have Res- yeah in Spain Beckham uh, Law. Yeah, Ireland, uh, flat tax in Italy. Yeah, of
1: so and Greece, which is a copy of Italy. Uh, so there, there, there is a lot of uh, a lot, and in Italy. You have also other regimes. So there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, systems. There are a lot of systems in place which want to attract high network individuals from other countries yep. the idea being mm-hmm. of course it's unfair to tax this guy and have him uh, he only has to pay 100,000 euros yeah. whereas <clears throat> I am an Italian living here for decades uh, since my birth actually and I pay five times as much exactly. uh, uh, tax that, that he does but the, the idea is always okay but basically he's not. he has no Italian connection he would not be paying any tax mm-hmm. and we are bringing him here, Uh, so this will benefit us because he does not not only pay the 100,000 euros, he will have staff and he will pay value-added tax for his cars and villa and I don't know what, gadgets. Uh, So there will be a lot of revenue coming from this. Mm -hmm. And the EU commission, uh, I think they fear that these regimes, they somehow distort the movement of people. They make tax a factor in moving. And I think they, the, the European Commission wants only, for example, the weather and the foods to be factors, <laughs> but not tax yeah, for <laughs> people who think about moving around. Yeah? Maybe I'm just sort of. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, so, you, so uh, I, I, I get that because I remember uh, any, the NHR in Portugal had to be modified because people were living there basically tax-free with European pensions. And now Mm -hmm. there's a 10%. Uh, I remember that when Britain was in Europe, they were put under pressure to modify their non-DOM regime as well. So I I see some modification, but are you thinking, you know, are you theorizing that perhaps in the years to come, there will be completely removed or no no i'm just i i don't see anything concrete happening but
1: okay. like if we look into the future right this is probably something that the european commission will be thinking about yeah
0: i see, and, I see.
1: Uh, uh, it, it, there's nothing like going on there's no proposal for a directive okay. Okay. On, okay. on this uh uh yeah. but but it is it is obvious that uh once the malta case is through mm. uh they will have uh uh a sort of uh, time to to think of of other topics, and that could be one of these other topics.
0: That's a a fair point. But in between that, in between the citizenship by investment and the the special regime, the special regime for for individual taxpayers, I see like the in-between or the next step perhaps being the golden visas. Because essentially it gives you that, right? You know, you pay a certain amount and you are a resident, but as long as you play with your days, you're not tax residents, so you're basically best yet. I mean, you're tax-free, if depending on your days, right? So, uh, you know, I think there's been, the, there was a statement by a minister in Portugal. You know, it can be interpreted in different ways when you really read it, but mm-hmm. some people interpreted it to say, hey, the golden visa uh, may be in danger in, in Portugal. Uh, mm-hmm. It may be they're revising it. They're thinking about it, and it may be phased out. Uh, and and you know, given the the pressure that the investment migration, I mean, the the citizenships are under. I would have thought, yeah, that's probably the next. That's probably the next logical step. From, from an EU perspective. What, what are your thoughts on that golden Yeah, piece?
1: I mean, the, uh, uh, the, this migration topic, uh, There's like two parts. And you mentioned okay. one is the citizenship part, which is what we spoke about in the beginning, yeah. meaning you get a passport, which enables you to go to this country and mm-hmm. you can even vote in elections. You're like really a member of this community. And okay. the other is residency, which is just the right to live there and to work yeah. there. Uh, And uh, residency is also not, there's not one kind of residency, but you have different kinds, there might be residency without working, you can stay Mm -hmm. there, live there, spend your money there, but you're not allowed to to be employed or self-employed, or it might be something which is uh, generally tied to some specific Mm -hmm. employment contract or totally open. You can just work for anybody uh, or or on yourself. Uh, So residency is this uh, sort of uh, uh, lesser right uh, compared to, to citizenship. And where citizenship programs are rare, there are basically few in Europe getting less, as I said, uh, uh, with the US actions, uh, uh, many countries have these residency schemes yeah? and have uh, 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 sort of schemes which allow uh, uh, to attract uh, skilled foreigners mm-hmm. to come to the country. Uh, so people who really bring something to the table, uh, a specific... Um, Kind of know-how or or trade, which uh, which is not which is not sufficiently existent in in that country. So this is something that many countries have, and I think this is less less problematic because uh, uh, it is more established. Whereas the the citizenship programs, you have these outliers. You have Malta, Cyprus, Bulgaria, uh, and, and 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 more or less that's it. Yeah, um, and these are all. Um, these are all countries which are not strong. Yeah? yeah. Whereas, I mean, a residency program that also exists in Germany and France and Spain and, and, and so on. So I think there's less pressure uh, to be expected on, on this front.
0: Mm. Okay, gotcha. That's a fair point. Now, now, implicit, when I when I look at the logic of it, from for example, uh, as you as we were talking, perhaps what the European uh, Commission may have been thinking, or what they may be thinking, and what some of the promoters push, there seems to be somehow the underlying assumption that low tax or some special tax regime would indeed be uh, sufficient to attract those high net worth individuals. And I think of that, you know, the conference you and I attended and not, we're not promoting any one particular uh, entity over the others, but it just so happens in Henley and Partners, you know, they, they're they pretty dominant in, in this space and they they publish uh, a ranking, which gets a lot of publicity and so forth. So you got, you got to help, but pay attention to what they're doing. And when they published earlier this year, their ranking of the cities in the world with the the highest uh, number of high net worth, as they've defined it, individuals, they're not necessarily low tax cities, right? You would have expected, oh, well, maybe Dubai is at the top, or mm-hmm. you know, some other zero tax place, but in the U.S., it's you know, it's it's L.A. and, and New York and Chicago and and those two coastal cities. Uh, uh, on A really high tax cities, the highest tax, tax states in the entire. It's not year. Florida. <laughs> yeah. It's not Florida. So, it, so, exactly. And there was this other academic that I've been uh, reading. He was at Cornell, but I think he's at Stanford now. Cristobal Young, and he's mm. took anonymized uh, tax data from the Internal Revenue Service, and he is showing clearly that people do not move for tax reasons. And yeah. and, you know, and there was this other someone else was referencing uh, a billionaire, a guy called Chamat Palapetia. He he's oh uh, yeah, right, yeah, I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, you know you know who he is, and and he was also making the point. You know what? Tax. You know, just ignore that. It's 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 a non your decision because when you move to a, a particular city or a particular state or jurisdiction. You do that with so many non-tax factors in mind. You know, what are the capital markets like? You know, what is the ecosystem? What is the networking like? You know, and 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 things like that. Who can factors that because when you're playing with your wealth, you can try to increase revenue or you're trying to reduce costs. And and, and the highest cost for many, you know, business owners, investors will be tax. So I get that. But you have, there's only so much you can do with tax, whereas if you focus on revenue, it's infinite, right? You know, mm-hmm. if, if you can scale your business if you get it in the right infrastructure ecosystem, that, that's amazing. So to me, it seems to be misplaced even to, to just focus so much on taxation as this this key factor in you know you know allowing how many high net worth people to move from part A to point part, part B, point, point A to point B. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it, it, Darren, I, I I totally agree. And uh, I have uh... I uh, had one case uh, uh, in, in in my had one case in my practice, mm. which was really illuminating because this was a seventy year old client, uh, already retired uh, from Germany, having mm. uh, 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 an operating business in Germany near it, and, and there was this plan uh, by a very well known firm, which mm. uh, basically wanted to solve his uh, uh, inheritance tax issue by having this gentleman move out of Germany. But there were so many uh, complications uh, due to German tax law that he could not basically move from the country where he was uh, living from Germany directly to Singapore, but Mm -hmm. he had to basically spend a seven-year period uh, uh, outside of Germany, but in an EU country. So the plan was for this 70-year-old guy to move for seven years to Austria, stay there not die in these seven years, so you must be on life support until the end of the seventh year and then uh, to move to Singapore which is very different uh, 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 climatically from from Germany uh, Germany Austria it's very close yeah so uh, it is a similar culture similar climate a similar food similar lifestyle and uh, 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 Singapore on the other hand is like it's humid it is uh, it is it is very Fast moving. It's not like a German city. <laughs> it's it's uh, uh, a totally different lifestyle. So I thought when I read that that all of this makes really sense from a tax planning perspective. And we're really proud as tax practitioners to come up with something that shows so much genius. It's just incredible the sweat that went into this paper. Uh, all these uh, associates who've been working day and night to come up with this fantastic tax optimized solution. But at the end of the day, I thought he's never going to do that. And exactly that happened. His wife said, no way. (laughs) I'm not going to move twice and certainly not to Singapore. Even if it's the best, even if we did this super rigid analysis and came up with all the possibilities and betted them and so on. So tax is not uh, not, uh, the most important factor because people really, uh, they have a life and they want uh, to have I mean, the most important thing is, of course, your your relations. Yeah, if you move, that already is a problem. You will be cut off from your friends, from your family. Uh, all of your activities that that you carry out uh, will be somehow impaired. And if you then move to a different country with a very different culture, even if it's like fantastic from a tax perspective, to buy no income tax yet. Uh, uh, you really have to weigh that. So, so I am I'm also I think also that. Uh, you said uh, people going to L.A. or to, to New York, uh, like these beacons of high taxes in, in the U.S. Yeah? Uh, so uh, the thing is that just um, uh, it is not always the case that if you move to a ha- high tax jurisdiction, that it means that you're going to pay a high amount of tax. You can do a bit of pre-immigration planning. You might put something, you might shelter income into a structure which is non-transparent, not look through. Uh, and, and then did not pay out anything while you're there. So they're always, uh, same is true for Austria. It's, a, it's basically not like the super efficient jurisdictions, not Dubai or Singapore uh, or, or uh, uh, I don't know, uh, some other country with, with a special regime, uh, but there are some things you can do. And if people uh, call us on time and not like I'm coming here tomorrow, uh, then we can then we can fix things. Then we can sort of set things up. We might incorporate a Liechtenstein foundation for the for the client to put in his uh, uh, income generating assets, I don't know for his portfolio or whatever, uh, and uh, and sort of shelter that. Yeah, there will be no income tax consequences for him while he's living in Austria. Uh, we we might take a look at um, uh, should he move out again. We'll we'll try to reduce uh, the impact of exit taxation. Uh, we we, uh, we have we have a few benefits. We have no inheritance tax, for example, no gift tax that that is cool. Um, and for the income tax, yeah, because we have high rates, but you can also structure things uh, sometimes. Yeah? and so high tax count is not automatically high tax bill. Yeah? It, it really depends uh, sometimes on the on the on your advisor, yeah? well, what he can come up with.
0: Yeah, that, that that's a fantastic point. And, and and I guess those promoters who focus on uh you know investment migration, obviously to a guy with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So for <laughs> them, the solution is just always to move. Whereas you're right, you know, what you and I do would, you know, they you know, tax optimization, wealth protection. There's so many angles or opportunities from, you know, from a planning perspective, if things are done well in advance to, I mean, probably not get to zero, but, you know, to be more efficient than whatever the headline rate is. So yeah, they're, they're different angles, right? And, and the point, so the point that you raised about still being taxable to Germany, even after leaving, it seems to be an increasing trend in Europe, isn't it? Because I I know Spain has that as well, Italy has it, you know, I'm talking about like, if you move to a so-called tax haven, Mm. that that some fallback rules would apply, and you'll still be subject to tax in European country of origin. Do you see that as an increasing trend? Is that something you observe? Yeah,
1: I I mean, there there, there are various sort of uh, 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 possibilities here. One is exit tax. So we have Uh, In all of the EU countries, we have exit taxation since a few years on companies. So if companies relocate, then basically at the border, you have to pay uh, tax on your unrealized uh, gains. And uh, a few countries have also introduced introduced that for individuals. So Austria has that, Germany has that, uh, other countries uh, have that as well. Uh, And and that makes uh, planning more complicated. It's something that has been existing in the US, I think, for many years. Uh, so you're deemed when you move out, or even if you give up citizenship in the US uh, example, uh, you're deemed to have sold all of your assets. Now, uh, you can, you can, there are, there are ways to work around this, you can put them into structure, if you don't hold them so when you move out you're not realizing the gain, uh, or you can wrap them up into some, some uh, uh, derivatives or whatever, uh, that, that do not fall technically under these rules. Uh, so there are a few things you can do. But um, uh, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, uh, it is definitely an aspect. And the second, exactly, I forgot. The second is when you move to a low tax jurisdiction. Um, some some countries' tax inspectors are more aggressive than others. And uh, uh, France, Germany, uh, they are probably uh, the, the most aggressive in in Europe. Uh, they would closely monitor where you're going to. So if you're going from France to Germany, then um, No big deal. But if you're going from France to, I don't know, uh, Singapore, for example, uh, or to Dubai, uh, a bit closer, if you're going to Dubai, then they would really see whether you have moved, in fact, or have you kept your ties with France? Did you, are you sort of, uh, uh, do you have uh, mobile telecommunications bills uh, mobile phone bills showing that you were speaking in France for so many days. Do you have utility bills showing that you were actually living in this house? Uh, have your neighbors seen you? You, you there? They, there's a lot of information that can be that can be um, uh, 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 obtained by tax inspectors, and they would do that when you go to an to an obvious when you when you see you're moving to an obvious uh, uh, tax haven. So, um, yeah, you, you have to be sort of uh, aware uh, uh, dealing with tax havens increases the heat, increases the, 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 the sort of level of scrutiny that you have
0: to uh, then, then uh, bear. Yeah? Okay, the, 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 those are, you know, incredible points. And as you mentioned that, I'm reminded of the situation where I think it was bars back in Germany, right, where he mm-hmm. was caught by virtue of having his toothbrush. Right in, in his sister's apartment. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's humorous, but the point is a serious one that the tax authorities in certain jurisdictions take these things super seriously. So you just you just don't mess with them. Uh, another point again with this the whole narrative being popularized by those with a vested interest about the whole world moving to either Dubai or to Singapore. You know, uh, I'm coming on my 10th year as a resident of Singapore, which is where I am right now. Uh, I'm also a resident of Dubai. So I'm, I'm there mm-hmm. probably every month, every other month. And and to my mind, yes, there's a movement. There's a, th- those jurisdictions are more popular than ever but perhaps due to non-tax factors. So for example, mm-hmm. for Singapore, it's super attractive for those who, uh, would want to avoid the, you know, the sensitive political situation in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and mainland China. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in Dubai, there's also a large influx, uh, from Russia and from the Ukraine. So again, it's not necessarily around tax, but you know, about about other non-tax factors in your practice, which jurisdictions you see, you know, just anecdotally uh, are more popular than, than before and that, you know, they seem to be attracting that high net worth individual.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Dubai, has, uh, Dubai's, uh, Dubai has attracted an incredible amount of, of Russians. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, it, there's no, no question about that. Uh, if you're a Russian, then the world has become really a complicated place to maneuver. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, the, Dubai is one of the few countries which, which have open arms and, and welcomed, uh, uh, welcomed Russians. So uh, there has been a huge influx of uh, both clients, advisors, uh, and, and other cert- sorts of people who provide services uh, to Russians. So uh, that, is really, uh, that was really one of the uh, uh, big, big events in 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, Singapore, on the other hand, obviously benefited from from uh, the uh, relationship, the deteriorating relationship between China and Hong Kong. Uh, uh, So Hong Kong becoming more and more sucked into this, uh, um, I think it was called one country, two systems, but it's more like one country, one system, Mm -hmm. a thing. And uh, you had these, uh, before COVID, these, uh, these demonstrations and the clampdown, on 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 uh on rights which have been guaranteed to the citizens of hong kong and which were basically trampled mm-hmm. uh so there has been as you said quite also quite an exodus of people uh and, and singapore is just around the corner Well, not really uh it's, it's a few hours but uh it's more or less around the corner and uh uh it is uh it is a, a fantastically uh, uh liberal has liberal economic system and um, yeah, it has uh, English as its main language. It, 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 it has a great uh, uh, sort of uh, ecosystem of advisors and, and banks and and, mm-hmm. uh, and family offices and, and private wealth managers. So it, everything is there. It's it's, it's really a, a fantastic place, and I envy you that you are there. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, so, in terms of trends, you you see those jurisdictions as particularly popular. Uh, within recent times as well okay yeah definitely definitely right uh my my last question because I, I know that you know we, we're trying to keep this within an hour is about the in shell directive i just see it as just one oh. of you know the many rules that have been being phased in in all you know and in, in so many spaces and so many jurisdictions and even at a a supranational level, that basically the message that we're getting is that if a structure does not serve a commercial purpose, you know it's not going to be looked upon favorably. So there must be some commercial benefit, not just a tax benefit for whatever it is you you try to structure. So uh, you know, I, so I I see it as you know this this huge, uh, huge push, and it's, it's going to make. You know, the whole space of tax planning, it's going to become even more restrictive uh, than it already is because it's, it's trending in that direction. So it's being really pushed in, in you know in, in that direction. And then people who make it sound easy, they just go on, uh, again, social media and say, all you need to do is form a company in X, Y, Z, and you'll automatically have all these benefits. It, they just seem to be missing the point of this huge wave of, of regulation from all the major jurisdictions, from the North Americans, from the Europeans, from the major Asian economies as well, that are all heading in the same direction. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the Unshell Directive in particular, and the major push in you know in general?
1: Yeah, uh, well, Darren, as, as you said, uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, EU's Unshell Directive, as it is colloquially called, the directive against shell companies. Uh, Will make the life of a tax uh, planner a lot harder. Uh, the 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 goal is basically to get rid of companies which have no economic, as it said, uh, purpose, which is just used for tax planning. And the directive is very complicated and tries to sort of establish a kind of filter system uh, where you filter out those companies which are shell entities. Uh, uh, the The European Commission is saying that do not worry because this, this directive only applies to 0.3% of all of the EU's companies. So it's just a very tiny uh, a set of companies which will be affected. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is very myopic because actually every company in the EU must go through the filter and see whether it fulfills the test, whether it belongs to the 0.3% shell companies or not. So it will uh, it will create a lot of compliance a lot of compliance uh, requirements, a lot of bureaucracy uh, for EU companies. It only applies to EU companies, uh, mm-hmm. and the the Commission is also thinking of extending that to non-EU companies. But that is that is uh, sort of still uh, still a, a crystal ball uh, thing. Yeah. So it will it will definitely make uh, planning a lot more complicated, and uh, um, it will it will if you have a company, you probably have to, that is a shell company. You either have to get rid of it as soon as possible or beef it up or give it some kind of commercial purpose, give it, breathe in life, make it like, make it real and not, not a shame. Mm.
0: But, you know, do, do you think I sound like a bit of a conspiracy theorist thinking that, Hey, this is part of a wider push when, you know, you know, the economic substance rules all over and, and, you know, The the EU uses this bully pulpit of the the gray list and the black list to put pressure on jurisdictions like Hong Kong is reviewing its offshore companies. I think that's perhaps part of the reason why the Gulf, the the, the UAE, the Arab Emirates, including Dubai, of course, now they're phasing in taxes. They're going to have a 9% first time in history. And those who think that it's going to apply to domestic companies only and those offshore companies are going to be left untouched. They have another thing coming. So my my point is, I see it as, uh, you know, the registries, I I know that the the public access is being, but the existence of a central registry. So I I see it as a a wider confluence of of, uh, Mm -hmm. political and policy forces. Uh, Do you think I'm being a bit too paranoid?
1: Yeah, uh, I I think it's sort of, there's a clear trend, uh, discernible, which... Mm -hmm. uh, which started a decade or one and a half decades ago. Mm-hmm. Before that, uh, the tax authorities were like totally, um, how you say, they were not really cooperating or speaking with, with each other, not exchanging views on planning. Yeah. Whereas we advisors, we were yeah. chatting around and meeting each other, hashing yeah. out plans, ideas, mm-hmm. uh, uh, but they were like isolated. And this has changed the OECD, which is the club of tax administrations, uh, they have organized all sorts of uh, initiatives. It began with exchange of information uh, which was beefed up and has become automatic with a uh, common reporting standard. Uh, it, it went on with these uh, uh, registers. Uh, uh, so UPO registers uh, which can be used by the tax authorities which became public in the EU but which are now not anymore public uh, uh, in, in the EU. Uh, it, uh, it, it went on to Uh, the OECD's uh, multilateral instrument, MLI, which closed all sorts of gaps in the application of double taxation treaties, uh, the arm shell directive. So it is is just one theme that these uh, uh, tax administrations are sort of working together, uh, coming up with ideas. Uh, They have lots of smart people and uh, it it is no question that um, we are sort of doing an uphill battle. In the past, you had not so smart people uh, and they did not even speak English, but now you have lots of people who are uh, in, the, in the OECD and who are very, very intelligent and also in the European uh, Commission. I have to make a small a caveat. The text of the Unshell directive seems as if it had been prepared by an intern. It is not really written <laughs> by somebody who is very uh, uh, fluent. Uh, the, the ideas are very uh, sophisticated, but the uh, I would say the the wording of the text is, uh, the, the wording of the directive is sometimes a bit lacking in mm. in sophistication. But uh, yeah, there, there, there's a theme of more cooperation between text authorities.
0: Mm, gotcha. Well, on that note, uh, Nicholas, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you Sharing your time and your, your profound insights and some of the wider trends that are going on in the investment migration space, crypto, and of course, the, the fun world of taxation. Thank you so much. Super. Darren, thank you. Uh, thank you, too. Right and, and to those who've been dipping in and out and watching what we're doing in live stream, this is being recorded and it, it's available on our website with, uh, within a day or so, at Talk, as well as on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, basically around 23 or 24 platforms where you would get your favorite podcast. So wherever you want to get your favorite podcast, if you've missed part of this, you've just tuned in, you want to hear the entire thing. Just, just visit and you should be able to find it uh, pretty easily. And for the next time we're going to do a live stream, just have a look at forward slash events. Nicholas, thank you for your time. Thank you for those who have joined us on Zoom and on Facebook and on LinkedIn and wherever else we're streaming this live. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye.